hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dan, here. This is something a little bit different than we traditionally do. You know us from Civcast, and that's surely why you're over here listening. Uh, what we do on Civcast, Dan offers up some of his amazing knowledge in history to do a historical minute, focusing traditionally on a civilization and a leader from Civilization VI. Uh, and what we decided to do, because you guys have had such great feedback on those historical minutes, is we're expanding it. So Dan is going to do an awesome little 15-ish minute thing here with us today, where he's going to teach us more about Philip II of Spain. Dan, welcome to this new program that is your idea. Yay, I am, I'm jacked up for this, man. I mean, I, I usually, um, when I'm teaching history, I'm, I was telling Kyle this off, teaching these topics, I'm on my feet and I'm pacing the front of the classroom back and forth and back. I don't get to do that here. So I'm sitting and I'm feeling anxious, but I'm oh. feeling stoked to talk about some of these things. And I just told Dan, treat me like your delinquent student that comes in the day right before the exam who has not attended any other classes. That is me. Um, so, And that is pretty much everyone out there in podcast land as well, I would assume. You are all that delinquent student who comes in right before the exam and sits there with his hand and his chin being like, tell me everything. Yep, yep, please do. I, and also, I'm going to ask for <laughs> bonus points. If, if you're assigning bonus points, uh, I'm going to need them. I turned in nothing this semester. so There will be a quiz. Great. There won't, uh, be, a qui there won't be a quiz. Don't worry. Oh, yay. Uh, okay, so everyone, stick with us. This is a first-time format. We're kind of doing this on our feet, too, or not, as Dan yeah. just said. But we're really going to kind of spitball this, and he's going to do it kind of like a lecture. I'm going to ask questions um, that I only have have prepared here, and we're going to just take it from there. So pardon us if this is kind of just riffing off one another, um, but Dan's going to teach us everything we wanted to know about Spain ever. Is that enough um, pressure? Ever. Ever. That's, that's a ton of pressure. I mean, I'm, not a Span, I'm not a Spain expert, but I, I do love this Philip II and Elizabeth I kind of era and their, their rivalry, so to speak. Yes. So do you want to take it away and, and, and give us maybe a little setup of what we're looking at here? Maybe time-wise, maybe whatever. It's all you, Dan. Sure. So um, I guess probably the place to start, we're in the 16th century, in the early 16th century. And those of you with a familiarity and a background in really any kind of European history will know that this is the time um, of the Reformation. This is the time that the Protestant wave is sweeping Europe. And um, it is, of course, washed on the shores um, of England in the person of Henry VIII, who notoriously created the Anglican Church. Well, he created the Anglican Church for many reasons, but the reason that, you know, the, the, the pop culture, the pulp fiction historians give him, so to speak, is so he could marry Anne Boleyn, who he promptly beheaded a couple of years later. But Ouch. I know, but Spain, it was a country that um, was both integrated into the Holy Roman Empire and was its own kind of standalone um, beast for a long time. And I guess the guy who is important before we talk about Philip II, we Philip II's dad is a guy by the name of Charles V, who was uh, probably the most important Habsburg of uh, the, well, really of the 16th, 17th, 15th century, whatever, of the, of the Middle Ages through the Renaissance and Reformation era, because he expanded the Holy Roman Empire to um, the reaches and stretches that it had 
not really seen before. Um, at the end of his reign, however, he was there's a lot of stress, a lot of downward stress placed on the Holy Roman Empire, which was Catholic, by the Reformation. And so what he did um, was he decided that he was going to uh, split not split his empire up per se, but split the ruling of his empire up. And he gave uh, the eastern part of his empire, which was the parts mainly situated around northern Italy and Austria and the, uh, the kingdoms of what would later become Germany to his son Ferdinand. And then he gave the western portion of the empire to his son Philip. And Philip II of Spain, and if you listen to the Civcast episode and you listen to my historical minute, Philip II was a guy, um, he was known as Philip the Prudent, which I think is meant to be like an ironic nickname because he was actually just a complete um, maniac when it came to his spending. Um, but he was a guy who, who at his peak was the king of Spain, the king of Portugal, the king of Naples and Sicily, the uh, jure uxoris king of England and Ireland, the Duke of Milan, the lord of the 17 provinces of the Netherlands, and then this kind of de facto king of the quickly spreading um, Spanish Empire in Mesoamerica and in Southeast Asia. Um, meanwhile, in England, we have um, a bit of a tug of war for the throne. When Henry VIII's son, Edward VI, dies at a young age, he tries to ensure Protestant succession by passing the throne on to uh, Lady Jane Grey, who had no legitimate or tangible claim to the throne at that time. Uh, meanwhile, Henry VIII had two daughters, um, one from his first wife, wife, pardon me, Catherine of Aragon, and then one from Anne Boleyn. Of course, Catherine of Aragon was Catholic. That daughter was Mary I, later to be known as Bloody Mary, and then the daughter from Anne Boleyn was Elizabeth, later to be known as Elizabeth I. Philip was opportunistic. He saw his well, his opportunity, that's what mm -hmm. opportunistic people do. He saw his opportunity to try and expand his empire into England. And so, conveniently, he decided uh, that he was going to marry Mary, Bloody Mary, Mary I of England, uh, following the death of his first wife, uh, Maria, the Princess of Portugal. So, he uh, and his marriage to uh, Bloody Mary was not exactly um, a loving uh, familial household. It's noted that they... Uh, they spent many, many months and even at times years apart during their marriage with Mary uh, spending most of her time in England and Philip spending most of his time in Spain. So it wasn't exactly, um, you know, the most the most loving household, I guess you could say, Kyle. But, you know, Philip, he... He sought ways to to solidify his empire, and, and really he did it for two reasons. One is because, well, what 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 emperor doesn't want the largest possible empire? But mm -hmm. the second reason is he really genuinely was looking to ensure that Catholicism returned to England. He was a very strong uh, Catholic in um, in really the, the most stringent sense. Now, Kyle, in civilization, mm -hmm. um, for, Philip has a very specific. Uh, leader bias or leader kind of agenda. Do you know what that agenda is? Um, I, uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember the name, but isn't his bias is all about um, inquisition and, and spreading the faith. Is that right? Or am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. And his, his leader bias is he, is he dislikes, and it's a very straightforward one, he dislikes other civs that don't have the same religion ah, as him. Good. And 
I mean, that is that is very soundly rooted in history. Philip did not like people who were of a different religion from him, and specifically, he did not like um, Elizabeth and her Protestant claim on the throne. When Mary the First dies, you know, Philip assumes himself to be the king of England. He he assumed that he was going to be the king because the way that succession worked at that time. Um, Mary was the queen, and then when she dies, generally, if you don't have a son um, or a daughter, the husband then at that time inherits the throne, which then, of course, would pass the crown of England over to Philip's family tree. Mm-hmm. D- doesn't work like that for Philip, though, unfortunately for him. Um, Elizabeth I rises to the throne, and with her, um, a Protestant rulership of England. So what you have when Elizabeth rises to the throne in 1550, oh God, 1553, I believe, is the year that she rises to the throne. 1553 or 1558. I think it's 1553 stands out in my head here. Um, you have the largest Protestant kingdom in Europe, um, in England, really one of the only Protestant kingdoms in Europe. And then you have the largest empire in really all of the, the world at this time, and certainly in Europe, if you want to debate uh, the world point, in Spain. And you have Spain, and you have Philip with a what he considered a legitimate claim to the throne of England. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what you're going to have over the next 30 years is wars by proxy. You're going to have wars that are conducted um, not through direct kind of battles between um, Philip and, and Elizabeth and between the Spanish and the English, but you have these kind of wars by proxy uh, that exist in the empire. Kyle? Is this, is this similar to like ex- Cold War um, positioning wars? Like, you know, you utilize funding another country to go to war with one another? Absolutely. So you know uh, the English have the sea dog in mm-hmm. civilization, right? I do well. Sea dog was, yeah, man. The sea dog was a notorious. Um, I don't want to say the term unit, but that would be wrong. For they are a notorious project. unit. Yeah. The uh, the English at this time. Uh, so the Spanish had heavy colonial holdings in Mesoamerica and in South America, of course, through Mexico, through Peru, Central America, and they had all the wealth that came with that. Mm-hmm. The English, though. Um, you know, you might want to consider um, the Spanish to be a bit like, I don't know, the empire, the modern day empire of the United States um, at this time, whereas the English at this time are more like your kind of, I don't know, <laughs> a lesser kind of European democratic state, like, I don't know, like a modern day Spain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so England didn't really have the means to um, directly fight Spain in any kind of wars. So these sea dogs, these British sea dogs, they acted as what the English called privateers, which is a bit of just like a highfalutin English term for pirate. Yeah. And they would they would raid um, the Spanish, uh, returning Spanish fleets that would be coming back with the riches of gold and silver and the wealth of, of the new world. These sea dogs would attack these, um, these Spanish fleets off the coast of the Iberian Peninsula. And they were causing some real problems and some real stresses for the Spanish at this time. So what you have is you really have... Um, the groundwork being laid for a more formal conflict at this time. And uh, what you have after that is you have Philip, who would constantly send uh, people to court. Um, and by court, I mean, he'd send them to, uh, to, to Elizabeth's court, to England, trying to get her to stop. And, and mm. she would 
say that, oh, you know, she's just protecting English interests in the area. And she was just kind of um, trying to ensure that, you know, uh, checks and balances of power at this time, so to speak. Um, but that was that was not jiving with Philip. And it really comes to a head in uh, the Spanish Netherlands in the 1570s. Class, do we have any questions at this point? Um, oh, yeah. So Elizabeth, um, and, and apologies if any of these are like over the scope of what we're doing, but Elizabeth, nah. uh, so when he would send people to court, she wasn't fully denying having if sort of funded these privateers and sea beggars out there? Or, you know, how, how was what was her response to that? Was she taking credit? She well, sort of, so to speak. I mean, Elizabeth was a really, really savvy monarch, and there's a reason that she was so um, beloved, and that she, to, you know, to this point in history, is still so celebrated in England. It's because she was really smart. I mean, she was always playing the, the the other kind of proxy was she was always playing the Scottish and the French against each other. But <laughs> yeah, with the Spanish, I mean, Phil, which is of course a notorious English thing to do. Oh, yeah. Being a Scots, being a Scotsman, I have a bit of a sour attitude <laughs> towards that, but that's besides the point. Um, yeah, she, you know, Philip would send people to English court, um, ambassadors and whomever, and, and they would, you know, try and get her to stop these privateering exercises. And she would say that, oh, you know, she's not directly attacking him. And she's, you know, because th these privateers often didn't actually fly under the English flag. They would fly under, you know, um, very cleverly um very cleverly laying kind of their own flags or they'd fly under the flags of other uh, kingdoms at the time, or they'd fly under Irish flags and yada, yada. So Philip definitely um, knew that it was them, even though Elizabeth was trying to be clever or coy about it. Um, but, and it really pissed him off, but he didn't do anything directly at the time. Mm-hmm. I see. And there's a, I mean, there's a lot of money coming from Mesoamerica too. Like, you know, you're obviously spending a lot to build colonies over there and to have your wealth that you're securing, you're trying to bring back to Europe, to have that plundered is not something I imagine him to be too happy about. No, and you know, the Spanish Empire grew in wealth because of what they're bringing from the New World. Um, and with that, you know, Philip, Philip's called Philip the Prudent, but he actually wasn't all that great with money. He actually overspent. And what, when he got all this wealth of gold and silver and precious metals from the New World, he immediately would filter it into imperialistic coffers. And he would use um, this money to fund wars against the Italians and the Italian wars. He funded the Catholic League during the French Civil War that took place at this time, the French Wars of Religion. Um, and what this led to, actually, Kyle, is this led to huge inflation in the Spanish economy. And at first, because that's what happens when you mm -hmm. interject, um, you know, unlimited precious metals into an economy without sound, you know, Adam Smith wealth of nations economics, you get inflation. And really, he doesn't feel the crackdown of that inflation until um, the 1580s, until he turns his, you know, his lens towards the English. So, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, the, the conditions at this point were definitely ripe for direct conflict with the English. Um, and Philip... Philip, I, I guess, sought ways to fight his own wars by proxy. Like he would, when the English were um, fighting the uh, the French at this time, he would obviously fund the predominantly uh, Catholic 
French. Um, and then he would also try and uh, give backing to English Catholics who are looking to restore Mary Stuart to the throne. Um, and the Mary, by Mary Stuart, when she was dead at this point, I of course mean Philip. What an idiotic thing for me to say. Um, <laughs> but moving on, uh, the 1580s come along and you get kind of um, the conditions for direct conflict with England when Elizabeth makes it known um, that she does not intend to bring an heir to the throne and she intends instead um, to go uh, to, to, to have the throne pass to a direct Protestant successor, who at this time, she doesn't know who it's going to be, but who she is seeking out. So what do you know about the Spanish Armada, Kyle? Uh, well, I, I, what do I know? So I remember something about, you know, the Spanish are building a, a, a lot of ships um, to, to you know, secure this 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 wealth coming back from the, the Americas. So, um, you know, and, and I think that's where we get our treasure fleet unit from. If you're a Civ Six mm -hmm. player, uh, mm -hmm. you got to protect it. I remember there being a time when, you know, these, these shipments coming from the Americas were way more often, um, they were on a regular basis, basically, you know, oh, here's a ship, it's ready, it's full of precious metals, go, 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 and they'd send it out. But as people um, learned their trade routes and, you know, knew that the, the Spanish were doing that and, and finding it on this, this kind of schedule in a way, uh, you know, they were raiding these ships. So mm -hmm. if memory serves, they consolidated into these more, these actual treasure fleets, these big armadas that would go across the ocean that were much more um, challenging to plunder. Um, and so I, I think that they get a buildup of ships that way, which eventually lead to some of our clashes here. That is a solid B plus A minus answer there, my friend. Well it's done. I think that absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, they have existing. They have a lot of existing ships. Um, you know, it's funny. Philip II actually, he was uh, when he was the de facto king of England. Funny story. He sought ways to modernize the English Navy because he um, didn't know that the, or rather, he thought that the English Navy was underutilized. And so he modernized the English Navy and with the Spanish Armada that comes back to bite him in the ass, funny yeah. enough. But in 1588, Philip decides that he wants that crown. Um, he's getting older and he wants to consolidate um, the largest kingdom in uh, the Western world. And so he sails 130 ships from Portugal to take over England. And, you know, a, a lot of this, he, he referenced in public the uh, religious sentiment, but a lot of the sentiment comes from the fact that the English were fighting these privateering wars with the sea dogs in the mid-Atlantic, or not the mid-Atlantic, in the Iberian Peninsula. But they were also um, privateering the Spanish Netherlands too, which was a recent Spanish conquest. So Philip had economic reasons to launch the Spanish Armada as well. Um, and really everyone kind of at the time thought at a foregone conclusion that the Spanish would um, be victorious, 130 ships against this kind of backwater middling power of England. Um, but what really actually happened is, of course, the English ended up um, victorious in the Spanish Armada um, after a few years of fighting and the decisive battle of Gravelines in Flanders. Um, the English were successful. And, and a lot of people contribute that to naval superiority, but that's probably probably not really fair to say the Spanish had more ships um, in the course of the conflict than the English ever did. Um, 
The actual reason that historians generally point to for the success of the English against the Spanish Armada was, of course, that old uncontrollable factor of weather. Mm-hmm. Um, the Spanish they got they got lost. They tried they tried when when they were unsuccessful at fighting along the south coast of England. They tried to sail along the east coast of England to land further up, and they actually got lost. And what ended up happening is they ended up traveling all the way over the northern tip of Scotland and coming back down um, on the west. And they they basically scythed their way down the west coast of Scotland and England in between England and Ireland. And they wanted to land on the less defended west coast of England. But what ended up happening is some severe <laughs> storms drove ashore upwards of 5,000 men um, onto the shores of Ireland. And, and a lot of these men died by drowning and starvation. And then when they landed in Ireland, were also slaughtered by the waiting English forces. Um, Elizabeth has a famous quote um, that she gave afterwards when she was holding court where she said, quote, God breathed and they were scattered. And she's referring to the storm that scattered the Spanish Armada. And really, I guess the lesson that you get from the Spanish Armada that Philip learns is Philip thought he had that divine wind behind him that was going to carry him on a righteous Catholic victory into Mm -hmm. England. But unfortunately, the weather has no religious denomination, and it ended up in the end being his downfall. Um, you know, Elizabeth gave uh, a famous speech at Tilbury, where she barely, where she basically summarized um, as a way to try and inspire her men. She kind of knew that they had a, uh, we'll call it a gender bias against women and against a female ruler at this time. Um, and she gave the, uh, the famous quote that, I know I have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king and a king of England at that. And I think that foul scorn of Parma or Spain or any prince of Europe should dare to invade the borders of my realm. So she was a badass. She was lucky in her victory over the Spanish Armada, let's be honest. But she was also very clever. Um, And so Philip, I mean, he loses the Spanish Armada and he's heartbroken. And he dies about a year and a half later. He still leaves a very wealthy and vast kingdom to his descendants. But it's not quite the reach that he wanted it to be. It doesn't sound like it. Um, no. Yeah, they and 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 obviously, um, and maybe this is something worth mentioning here too. I mean, carrying that religious banner as as he was doing obviously has some larger world implications um, with you know the Catholic Church and things like that. That obviously grants them. Um, power, uh, you know, the popes with their their different, um, you know, a, a grant, actually granting both land, wealth, mm-hmm. resources, uh, entitlement to go claim a certain area, blessings like mm-hmm. that. So, you know, he, I guess, I guess my maybe thought or question or whatever is, you know, how much of an impact that has on it, you know, or what sort of reasoning, because it seems to me like you know, carrying that banner of the Catholic Church obviously has some major perks that he was aiming for too, I'm sure. Well, absolutely. And, you know, the Holy Roman Empire was Catholic and France was the other major power. They were Catholic um, as well. You know, I think that in terms of his long-term legacy, I mean, he he commenced settlements in uh, Mesoamerica and also in Southeast Asia in a place like the Philippines, which actually is named after him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he, he sought to secure Catholicism uh, 
wherever he could. And he didn't have much of a relationship with the Pope or with um, the Italian states of the time. He, he was more of kind of an insular kingdom focused on the Iberian Peninsula. But I would say if he had been successful with the Spanish Armada, obviously you and I would be speaking Spanish right now. Um, but it would be a it would be a completely different world because England's holdout and England's victory as a Protestant kingdom really allowed it to kind of develop its own kind of national legend and national identity surrounding the difference that was situated in its religion. And because of that, the legend of Elizabeth carried on past her death. And when they brought James the Sixth of Scotland, who became King James the First, down to rule after her, it was, I mean, there was a Jacobite rebellion, but it was largely accepted by the people because of the legacy of Elizabeth's victory over Philip and over the Catholic kingdoms. Um, it can't. It really can't be understated how important the Spanish Armada was in the English victory um, over Spain and over Philip at that time was because it really um, set the stage for England to grow into itself as a power. It was a bit of an awkward, you know, pimply pubescent nation at the time of the Spanish Armada, and then its victory allows it to grow into its own. It becomes it becomes a strong young adult. And of course, we know what happened after that with English colonial interests. So it can't be understated, and Philip's reign can't be understated. He is a guy who is largely still beloved um, in Spain. And I, I don't think he could be characterized by his failures uh, because he didn't have a hell of a lot of failures. He had far more successes than he did failures. It's just us in, I mean, I'm in Canada, you're in the U.S., we're in anglicized countries, with apologies to my friends in Quebec. Um, we tend to have an anglicized view of history, um, which would kind of cast failure and dispersions on Philip. But he was um, largely successful at combating the Italians, the Ottoman Empire, at checking the power of the French. And it was really just this one thing, along with his runaway inflation, that we look at as uh, failures for him. It's very interesting to watch, you know, those those pivotal moments in history that kind of, you know, they, they are um, kind of the wiping away of the old regime and bringing in mm -hmm. someone new. And, you know, that whole Protestant wind and all, all of that really, like you said, it, it sets the stage for a whole different game that would you know affect the future of and land us where we are now you know the, the everything spurs from something else so i really like it dan did you want to dive any deeper in it or is that going to conclude it for our first uh historical extra so the last little tidbit that i wanted to mm -hmm. give we were talking about achieve we were talking about achievements in civilization six and one of the achievements you can get when you play Spain is you win the game, just a general game with Philip II and with the Spanish. And the name that they give to that achievement is non sufficit orbis. That is Latin. Do you know what that means, Kyle? Non sufficit orbis. I don't know. It means the world is not enough. Ah. And that was that was Philip's uh, Philip's motto. Really, He's, the world was not enough for him. He was a man who sought to rule not just the civilized world, not just the Catholic world, but really to rule the whole world. And closer than anyone, even closer than, than Louis XV, Louis XVI, well, certainly closer than Louis XVI, but closer than really anyone in his era, he almost got there. And if it weren't for some crappy weather off the coast of Ireland and England, which if you've lived in Ireland or England or lived there now, <laughs> no, is a, is a pretty familiar thing. Um, he might've done it. 
Wow. I, I, these are these are fascinating, Dan. I I love you sharing this information with us. It's it's you know the, the spurs out of us playing an amazing game that we love and and is so rooted in history by its very nature. Um, thank you so much for for taking all this extra time to to share this information with our listeners. I hope everyone out there finds this as interesting as I do. I could just listen to a, a history lecture at any time. Um, so thank you so much, Dan. That that is awesome. Um, I c- cannot wait for our next uh, historical minute. If you don't have this answer off the top of your head, this is fair. Do you have any inkling of who you might be touching on for next week's historical minute? You know, I I haven't really got there. My focus just peek behind the curtain for people. My focus, my focus, my background is in European history and specifically Scottish and uh, Russian history. But I do think. I haven't talked about Queen Victoria yet, and I do think I have to give her her just dessert. So I think next week's historical minute on Civcast, I'll be talking about Queen Victoria. Ooh. My next kind of historical extra, though, my next historical extra, it might be a little more exotic. We might go a little further, uh, a little further east, Ooh. And a, li- a little, a little deeper into the past. I am. I'm very excited. Obviously, uh, cannot wait to hear more about Victoria. And uh, I guess that I guess we can all just speculate who Dan's referring to uh, as for the next extra. So, if you have thoughts on this uh, this nice little extra that Dan's doing for us, let us know. Um, you're probably listening to this on Wednesday, December. I don't know what's that date. Uh, like 5th, 13th, 14th, something like that. Uh, so if you're enjoying it, please tweet at That's us. Just, what was that, Dan? No, I just I think it's the 14th. Yes. Yeah, I'm just confirming your date. You are correct. It is the 14th. Uh, so p- probably that day. Um, if you have thoughts on this moment, this extra, please shoot us a tweet to let us know. That is uh, at Civ underscore cast. Uh, or you can email us. It's civcastpodcast at gmail.com. Send your feedback that way. We uh, we all take a look at it here and, and share all of our thoughts. So please do let us know. Um, and as always, I think, Dan, you're you're very open to um, getting c- kind of requests for from people. Like if someone's a little bit curious about this sort of history it's you know they should shoot that in right let them let us know yeah absolutely send us an email if you have questions i'll do my best to answer it for you um i have more specific knowledge in certain areas but i uh, i also do teach ap uh world history so i know a little bit about you know your gilgameshes and your egypts and your byzantine empires and blah 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 so i can give you a little bit of uh hopefully a little bit of info on those two yeah, let us let us know what you're curious about, and we can, we'll see what we can do to to help you out there. Um, I think until our next uh, episode of this, that's pretty much going to wrap it up. Uh, as we kind of mentioned on the Civcast episode for this week, we are looking at doing this as a uh, every other week sort of thing or a monthly uh, recording. We're gonna we're gonna work on some of that, work on all the the finalizing of it. But we really, really, really hope you enjoy this one, Dan. As I said before, thank you again for sharing your insights on this topic. Any last words from you? No, I mean, I was trying to think of a clever sign-off that might echo your just one more turd sign-off, but I don't know what I got. Just one more fact. You're listening to Civcast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. 
For more shows like this, visit kyledempsterstudios.com.